uh, resurrection. We talked about uh, the last week, we talked about the New Testament evidence for the resurrection, the gospel narratives. My goodness, what a sermon we had from Lee Strobel this morning in the first hour. And if you haven't gone yet, you're going to go a third hour. It is fantastic. His uh, historical and legal mind investigating uh, the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And what a, what a great uh, message that was. Well, it's all over the New Testament, uh, the evidence for the resurrection. We talked about the nature for Christ, nature of Christ's resurrection. Um, <clears throat> it's a reversal of the harmful results of sin. It wasn't just that he came back to life, but he came back to life in a resurrection body that's a new renewed body without any weakness or sin or liability to illness uh, or death anymore, and his body is the first fruits, and therefore it's like our body will be. Jesus had a physical body, however, after the resurrection, and we talked about various evidences of taking bread and breaking it or eating fish and saying, touch me, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So um, uh, a physical body. Now, this is where we stopped last week. There is a recent alternative explanation that created quite a stir in the evangelical world a few years ago by Murray Harris. Murray Harris, a well, well well-respected senior professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, when this book came out, um, it was called uh, From Grave to Grave, uh, uh, Resurrection in the New Testament. Um, And... uh, there were some people, the Trinity, where I taught, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, is owned by the Evangelical Free Church. And there were some pastors saying, oh, wait a minute, Murray Harris has this different view of the resurrection. He shouldn't be allowed to teach at Trinity anymore. And there was quite a controversy. And uh, interestingly, uh, Murray had been a friend of mine for a number of years. His office was right next to my office. Uh, and so I was um, a little bit involved with this. And the, this, the faculty kind of read and thought through what he believed and decided, well, we don't agree with this, but it looks like he still affirms a literal physical resurrection of Christ, and so we don't think he's outside of the doctrinal bounds. But here was his idea. Uh, Murray Harris said, after his resurrection, Jesus' customary existence was in a non-physical or non-fleshly form of his spiritual body. And then sometimes he would materialize, that is, take a physical body, but when he ascended to heaven after 40 days, he permanently gave up any more materializing into a physical body. So he affirmed the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, but then he said that resurrected body had new properties and it was transformed into a spiritual body that really wasn't physical. That sounds kind of fishy to me. And uh, I didn't agree with it. I wrote some material about it. I mean, he had been subject to all sorts of criticism, and he, you know, he was sensitive about it. But anyway, I wrote some stuff in the systematic theology that I was preparing, and I said I gave it to him. I said, Murray, see if this is fair. I'm disagreeing with you, but am I fair anyway? He gave it back to me and said, finally, someone who represents me fairly. So at least uh, I was trying to do that. But here's why I disagreed with him. He says when Jesus' body... Uh, he said, well, Jesus suddenly appeared in a room and then he disappeared or he vanished from their sight. It means that he suddenly ceased to be physical or material. And I said, well, I think there's a better explanation for that, and that is he just, they just couldn't see him. He just he vanished from their sight. And so one of the verses he used was Luke 24, 31. Their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. He disappeared from their sight, uh, the NIV says. And actually, Professor Harris was on the translation committee for the NIV at that time. Um, but uh, I looked at that, um, and, the, and the Greek text said, and he, aphantos agenata, he became not visible. The Greek expression for vanished or disappeared occurs only once in the New Testament, right here in this verse. The words can mean disappeared from sight, not become immaterial. 
And uh, there's a, a, a secular Greek author, Diodorus Siculus, historian, he wrote from 60 to 30 BC, who wrote of a man named Amphiaris. And Amphiaris, with his chariot, fell into a chasm and disappeared. Same expression, aphantos. He became aphantos, uh, not visible. Now, did he dematerialize? Where was he? <laughs> Down the bottom of the chasm. He just couldn't see him anymore. But that didn't mean he dematerialized. And uh, a man named Atlas, who was blown off a mountaintop by high winds, and he disappeared. Did he dematerialize? Did he lose his physical body? No, he just disappeared. He fell off the top of the mountain, and people didn't know where, they, where he was anymore. So I said, look, even if you use this verse, that Greek expression doesn't mean that he wasn't physical. It just means they couldn't see him anymore. Somehow, he vanished from their sight. Uh, so I think all we can conclude is the disciples no longer saw Jesus. Maybe he was miraculously taken away, or maybe he was just hidden from view. Because uh, in the way God works, he can close people's eyes uh, to a certain reality. So uh, he vanished from their sight. That is, he's breaking bread after the trip to, uh, on the road to Emmaus. But uh, I think, um, uh, I, I don't know how it happened. It just, it just, it just happened. Maybe, maybe he just was snatched away quickly, or maybe... They just couldn't see him, and he walked out of the room. I don't know. But that doesn't prove that he was customarily non-material. In fact, we get again and again verses where Jesus wanted to teach that his body was physical. And so it seems like these verses are saying again and again, I have a real body, a flesh and bones body. Jesus said, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see for a spirit, and of course the King James, I think, may have translated that as ghost, but spirit, that is a non-material. A spirit has not flesh and bones as you see that I have. He had flesh and bones. He did not write flesh and bones as you see that I temporarily have. He didn't say that. Uh, it was flesh and bones as you see that I have. He was trying to teach them that there's a reality to his resurrection body. If he wanted to teach that he, his body was essentially spiritual, he could have dematerialized before their eyes and said, watch, all of a sudden, he's just kind of a shimmering nothingness, kind of a kind of a uh, a, a luminescent. Uh, I don't know what Darth Vader looked like after the end of the third Star Wars movie, where he was kind of just this shimmering thing. And 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 Yoda. Oh, maybe you don't remember that. Huh? <laughs> a see-through person. Okay. Um, um, the disciples wrote that Jesus ascended into heaven from a physical body. And I'll get back to that verse in a minute. But as he's outside of Jerusalem, he's lifted up gradually, and his physical body that they had been with and touched and that had eaten fish and that had been with, that is just lifted up into a cloud. I think that's guaranteed, that's, that's designed to teach that Jesus' physical body was taken up with him into heaven. And that was the customary, ordinary, real way in which he existed. In fact, the angel immediately then told the disciples, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so the angel is saying, you, you saw him take his body right up into heaven, and he's going to come back in the same way. I think that means that's the same physical body that he now has in heaven. The physical resurrection, there's a bigger question here. That's why I think it does have some importance. And that is the physical resurrection of Jesus and his eternal possession of a physical resurrection body give clear affirmation of the goodness of the material creation that God originally made. See, I think there's a danger that people fall into this mistake of thinking, 
oh, to be truly godly, to fulfill the true purposes for God, of God for us, and to be truly holy, we have to be non-physical. We just have to be spirits in some way. And that is not a Christian view. That's not a biblical view of how God made the creation. In fact, in Genesis 1.31, when God saw everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. That's an affirming, that's an affirmation of the fact that the, the trees and the rocks and the, and the, and the uh, rivers and the animals and man and woman in physical bodies created in his image are good. In fact, are very good. And so we shouldn't think that God's eternal best purpose for us is not to have a physical body. His eternal best purpose for us is to restore the excellence of the creation with which he made us, or the way in which he made us, at Genesis 1.31, and to restore the excellence of that original sinless creation, not subject to dying or decay or death anymore. And so we shouldn't fall into the error of thinking that non-material existence is a better form of existence. It's not. Part of the excellence of the way God made us is material, physical. In a very material, physical, renewed universe, it seems that we will need to live as human beings with physical bodies. Romans 8.21 talks about the fact that the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. That is, when Christ returns, the thorns and thistles that God imposed as a curse after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3, where he said, the thorns and thistles will it bring forth for you, Cursed is the ground because of you, and the sweat of your brow you will eat bread. But that's going to be changed. And the, the, the subjection to futility of the earth where we have to work to bring forth food from it, we have to irrigate, we have to kill weeds, all of that, and fight pests, that that's going to be reversed. So it'll be that abundant productivity that existed in the Garden of Eden in the first place. The natural order is going to be renewed when Christ returns, according to Romans 8. And so... We'll live in a renewed earth. It'll be set free from its bondage to corruption. Margaret made me breakfast this morning that has uh, some um, bananas and some grapes and strawberries <laughs> mixed in with some yogurt. And, uh, it was, and, it, and it was really good. But those strawberries are nothing like the incredible strawberries that they're going to be after Jesus returns and the earth is set free from its bondage to decay, they're going to be better than any strawberries you have ever tasted in your life. And the grapes, too, and the bananas, too. And so we're looking forward to a renewed physical earth. And to think that I would not have a body and I couldn't taste those strawberries? Oh, man. I'd just be looking at them and saying... Oh, they keep slipping through my spiritual fingers. I can't eat them at all. Well, that would be bogus. I just think that would be terrible. Uh, we're going to enjoy the excellence of the renewed creation. Second Peter 3.13, we expect to see a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Renew or renewed. Um, and Revelation 21.26, we'll dwell in a new Jerusalem, and the people, the kings of the earth, will bring into the city the glory and honor of the nations. I think that means the excellent products that are made from the um, resources of the earth in all the different nations and the treasures of those being brought into the new heavenly, the, brought into the renewed Jerusalem and to be used for the honor of the Lord and to, to be honoring to him. Revelation 22, 1 to 2, there'll be a river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. 
And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. I want to taste those fruit, fruits from, the, from those trees. And I think they're for us and for our good. So it's a physical reality of the renewed creation. All right. Now, do you want questions on that before I go to the next topic? Uh, Mike? No. There's a button on the bottom you have to push and hold. The light's on. Can you hear me? Yeah. Thank you. Um, I wonder, Wayne, if we become too concerned with the language on this, and maybe let me explain that, and maybe get your perspective on that. Um, again, you shared many verses last last week, such as in First uh, Corinthians. Again, Paul's talking about Christ and the first Adam and the second Adam. He says the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last a life-giving spirit. Again, we don't know that that is meaning that Jesus is spirit, but he, it also is indicating um, a, a major transition, again, from the natural. And then it says the uh, spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that came the spiritual. And then later in... Um, 15, um, chapter, I mean, verse 50, uh, he goes on, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The comment being, um, our concept of the physical is extremely limited because our knowledge of the physical is perishable, intangible, uh, corrupted, and we're, we're seeing a concept of the imperishable, the perfected. And we use terms like physical because we believe that we, you know, the resurrection is, is, has meaning um, and a, a physical identity to be associated with it. But you know, perhaps we're too bound in this world in translating our concept of the perishable into the imperishable, mm -hmm. and it causes us problems. I'm not sure if I'm explaining myself, but sometimes we, we project a heaven that looks a lot like earth when yeah. maybe we're projecting it out of ignorance. Yeah. Well, um, just keep the microphone because I'll ask you another question, Mike. Um, you can maybe help me with this. I mean, I'm going back to Genesis 1. I'm saying God made a material creation. It had trees, it had fish, et cetera, it had animals. And there was a fall, so it got all kind of messed up, but it's still still material. Now, I don't know if the word physical is good and material. What, what, you help me. What is, what is matter? Well, that, that's, what I, that's what I wonder, too, in terms of, you know, maybe my question to you was, do the angels have physical bodies, or are we no. considering them I, spiritual? But yep. what does that mean? They, what they is temporarily spiritual? assume a physical form at times, but I think it's just temporary. Their normal existence, in Hebrews, they are ministering but spirits. Are they bound in some sort of location, space, time? I think they're spatially restricted. Yes, they're in one place yeah, at one and, time. And this is where I'm saying then we begin to maybe have problems with defining the separation between physical. The, the origin of the term, of course, uh, spiritual, um, comes from basically a force, but that is not seen, okay. uh, kind of coming from uh, um, Numa. Okay, but now I'm, I'm asking you as a physicist, mm -hmm. what's the difference between matter and non-material things? In our, our physical world? Yeah. 
I mean, I think of, I think of um, thought as non-material, but I think of wood as matter. What, what, what oh, makes the difference? Yeah, well, thought being non-material, you're saying? Well, you're getting into a much more difficult well, well, question. Well, I, I mean, I'm trying but to think of something that doesn't have... Well, the my, the my, world my, we my know soul, decays. My, my you know. soul is not matter. Yeah, the, but, but my body is matter. So what is matter? Yeah, well, matter is the, the physical universe that we see today. It's guided by laws of thermodynamics. It decays. You know, yeah. time it, connected with it is a decaying process. Entropy is increasing. That's all we know about those processes. If we have an imperishable world, those processes are just not comprehensible to us because physics does, does okay. not understand such processes. Okay. And I so think if we have an imperishable physical identity, it's, it's unlike anything that we're aware of in our experience. Okay. I think my, my suspicion is that um, in new heavens and new earth, if you pick a strawberry and leave it on the leave it on the ground for a few days, it'll just rot. New heavens and new earth still. Right, but I think the imperishable is just our bodies. So I don't. I think that a lot of the physical processes of uh, the plant world and maybe the animal world as well will continue similar to ours. Yeah. And I don't think is comfortable based upon what we've got in Scripture. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> it's like the political process. We're free to differ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, we need to talk more because it's interesting. Um, what I, I guess what I'm saying, that the all I know is two things, that we have a resurrection body like Jesus. It's never going to die anymore. And there's going to be some renewal of the creation, but I don't know what exactly the renewal of the creation will be. It'll be putting it back to what it was in the Garden of Eden. But but I don't. But then there's a, a lot of vagueness about what it was like in the Garden of Eden. So that's all I can do. Cheryl, Sherry. Um, do you believe that Jesus Christ has an incapacity to be immaterial? Uh, how can he be omnipresent? Okay, good. And and have shine with great light, yep. which are it's more than physical yep. capability. Yeah. You got two things going on with Jesus. He has a, a physical body and a human nature that's like ours. But then he also has a divine nature where he was eternally God and existed eternally. And that divine nature is everywhere present. That's why he can say, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's his omnipresence. Okay? But that's his divine part or his divine nature. But then his physical human body, his human nature, I think is just one place at one time. That's why he could say, I'm leaving the world, I'm going to the Father. And I'll send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. So they're, both things are true. Good. Anything else? Way over here. Yeah, Phil. I understand that there's a physicist over there. Yeah, that but, yeah that's Bob. Yeah, you, you ask him what is matter. Yeah, I didn't get a, I got a kind of an answer. But well, I, if my physicist. <laughs> I'm going to get a better answer later. With the indulgence of my phys physicist friend over there, there's, there's a, what is light? 
What is light? Well, light is a photon, which is a particle, but if you do the double split, slit experiment, it becomes a wave, which is not a particle. It has a duality to it. It is the light becomes a particle, a piece of matter, yeah. a physical existence, yeah. if you measure it as yeah, that, 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 but if you <laughs> measure it the other way, it comes out as energy, and yet it's the same thing. That, that's why I didn't use light as an example. <laughs> I use my soul as a non non matter thing. But the the deal would be, if 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 that is in fact if matter as we've is physically proved is a duality, Christ could easily go from the the chunk mass particle as you were asking about to the to the energy, and he could interchange it, and he could interchange it in a, in a second. Now we we know that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. And we believe that the Father's in the third heaven, right? I, I just think that means heaven as opposed to where okay, the birds fly uh, and where the stars are, first and second. Okay, I well, I was, I was thinking about Paul with the first heaven and the second heaven, you know, that yeah. when he went to the third heaven, which is, you know, was... I think it just means heaven. I just what well, we call heaven. if he has the physical properties of, that you're referring to of the strawberries yep. and the matter, yep. it's, it's, it would be impossible for him to, to travel the 15 billion light years without his physical body being destroyed. He Therefore, his physical body has to take on some new properties that we don't understand for him to be able to do that. Well, I think it's pretty close to the earth, actually, but just hidden from our eyes. Well, I don't know what. I think just hidden from our eyes, that's all. So that's all, that's all I know, but I think it's physical still. Space-time universe. All right. Well, now I didn't look over here. We've got one more, and then we're going to go on. Oh, I guess we've got one, one in this section, and then... Well, I, I'm not used to doing this, but um, it seems to me, at least, for the very finite to explain the unrevealed infinite is a very difficult proposition and anything is just virtually speculation at best, if not vain speculation. Um, I understand what we're talking about in trying to understand the unrevealed and outside of our experience with the finite understanding of the infinite yeah. is uh, close to, if not a impossible thing to okay. do. Tell me your name. Here's what's happening, though, Tom. you got these verses, say, Jesus eats fish, he says, touch me. Then he goes up into heaven. Okay, and then you have other verses say he's going to come back. And we're saying, but, but it's, it's imperishable, it's raised in glory, it's raised in power. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're just trying to understand, well, think a little bit more about what that means. And there is going to be a point where we say, can't figure it out anymore, but I'm trying to figure out as much as we can from the data we have and be faithful to it. That's all. Okay, one more over here, and then I'm gone. Go on. Um, I was just wondering, couldn't it be... Tell me your name again. It's Enrigueta. Geta. Geta. <laughs> Thank you. Um, couldn't it be as simple as like what we refer to when those who are non-believers have that veil? I mean, you've mentioned the veil several times. Couldn't it be as simple as that, that it's here, but we are not present to it? Yeah, uh, there's something that, like that. Um, I mean, in Ephesians, it talks about that unseen world that, yeah. that we don't yeah. have a knowledge to, but... Yeah. Yet, our spirit yeah. does. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's something to that, but I, I want to say it's not just unseen, but there's a physical reality to it, because uh, you can have angels that are just spirits, and all of a sudden people can see them, 
but I still don't think they have a body. I think if you put your hand through them, it goes through them. But I'm not sure. It's kind of, but they're spirits in Hebrews 1. All right, I'm going to go on. Uh, interesting. Um, well, uh, I'm not. Oh, let's see. Number three, both father and son participated in the resurrection. This is interesting. We tend to focus on the texts that say God raised Jesus from the dead. And we do have verses like that. Acts 2.24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Romans 6.4, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. 1 Corinthians 6.14, God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Galatians 1.1, God the Father who raised him from the dead. So that's very clear. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. But it's interesting, there are some other verses where it talks about Jesus participating in or raising himself from the dead. And this goes back a little bit to Sherry's question. I think, Sherry, we've got the physical body of Jesus that died, and it was in the tomb. But you've got the divine nature of Jesus that didn't die, was always alive, that participated in his resurrection. So John 2, 19 to 21, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What temple? The Jews said it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Herod's temple, all this stuff around. Uh, and, or, uh, and, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body, what he was meaning, this temple, that is the, the physical body that I'm dwelling in, destroy it. In three days, I, I will raise it up. He's saying he'll raise himself back to life. In John 10, there's the same thing. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Lay down his life, take up his life. Authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So the Father, God the Father who has ultimate authority over all things, even though the Son is equal in deity, the Father gave to the, the Son the authority to release his life, lay down his physical life, and then take it back up again. So Jesus was also involved in raising himself from the dead. And both things are true. John 11:25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, and I think the first person that that applied to was himself, raising himself from the dead. Now, what is the, now we've gotten to the, we talked about the what of the resurrection, that it happened and what it was like, and we got some of that figured out. Now, what about the, the, the significance, the so what, the doctrinal significance? And I was just sitting there listening to Lee Strobel last hour and thinking, what a marvelous testimony to the truthfulness of the Christian faith, the truthfulness of Jesus' claims. He claimed to be the Son of God, and his resurrection was clear affirmation or proof or validation of that. Is there other doctrinal significance in addition to that? I think, yes, there are several things. First, Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. Regeneration, another word for being born again. How is it that God could give us New life, oh, how could he give us new spiritual life? How could we get to be born again? Did he just decide out of the blue to give us new life? Or was it true that Jesus earned this new life for us by being the pattern for us and the one in whom God thought that we were united, so we were buried with him in his death? God thought of that as applying to us. And they were raised with him in his resurrection. So God thought of him as earning that for us. And we're united with him. And so then there are, some, there are some consequences of the resurrection in our own life. That is, what happened to Jesus, God is going to apply to all of us. And it isn't just 
a long time in the future when Jesus comes back, or maybe soon in the future. <clears throat> it isn't just that, but there are some benefits right now that we've already received. So God isn't going to give us all of that just in the future. He's going to give us some of it now. And 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's when we became Christians. We're born again. We're given new spiritual life. Born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That means that God has given us part of the resurrection life of Christ right now. And if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that is the kind of life that you have inside. Your spirit has been renewed or made new with a kind of resurrection power. And I think if we think about that a while, it's going to be, have a remarkable impact on how we think about our own lives. I'll go on. Ephesians 2, 5 to 6. We were dead in our trespasses. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is, when Christ was raised from the dead, God thought that earned for you and me being born again, being raised to a new spiritual life. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul is seeking that he would know more and more in his daily life the power of Christ's resurrection that is at work within him through that spiritual renewal, that being born again, that already was his. So now think of what kind of life you now have in your spirit. Do you feel like it is the power of Christ's resurrection, the resurrection power of Christ working in you? I don't know if you've thought about that much. Pray to receive Christ. You trust him for forgiveness. Okay, your sins are forgiven. You're born again. But you realize that born again means there's resurrection power of Jesus spiritually within you. Do you ever think about that? Think about it right now. How does that feel? It's great, isn't it? It's, it's remarkable. I don't think... I see, I think this resurrection life within us implies that we will have power for living the Christian life and power for ministry. This is the promise of Jesus to the disciples. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. I think that means power for sharing the gospel. And yet it means when we share it with people, there will be the power of Jesus' resurrection working to make those words of sharing powerful to awaken new life in other people. It means power in prayer. So when we pray, we see answers to prayer. I think it means, actually, that word power often mean, meant power when they prayed God work miracles in the book of Acts. And, well, it's there. I mean, this is, this is incredible power of the, of the resurrection of Christ. Ephesians 1.11, Paul wants them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What kind of power is in us or working toward us, God working through us? It's the same power that he raised Christ from the dead. In Romans 6, 4, and 11, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's an application. It means that you have power to change. 
Did you hear Lee Strobel this morning talk about how God changed, changed his wife's life first? She became a believer, and then there was a pattern, change of pattern of life, and then changed his life from all the different pattern of life that was selfish and, and immoral to a pattern of life that, uh, that his children could see was different. And that's, that's what's happened to, I suppose, every one of you to some degree. There's, there's power to overcome sinful patterns of life and sinful patterns of thought and habits. And we should just think about that and realize it and say, I'm not going to get defeated by this struggle. I'm not going to get defeated by this challenge. There's the resurrection power of Christ within me. And he's going to triumph. I started to think about this now as I was thinking forward to teaching the class this morning. I thought, well, what's the result of the resurrection power of Christ? Churches are built, and they grow. Look. <laughs> okay? Um, ministries are started, and they grow and prosper, don't they? People are saved, and their families are changed, and their lives are changed. See, there, there's power that's changing the world. I don't know if you've seen the graph of the growth of what polling people can measure as born-again Christians in, in the world. That is, people who credibly claim that they read their Bible and pray every day. That's kind of the test that they had. And the graph has gone from, in the 1950s, 3 or 4% of the world up to 12% of the world population now. And it's just skyrocketing, mostly in Latin America, Africa, and some parts of Asia. Not yet in Europe, or much change in the United States, but God is at work. And that's the resurrection power of Christ, making ministries effective and growing. And the more we believe that to be true, the more we're going to say, well, you know, I want to get involved in this. I want to help this ministry. I want to do this youth work. I want to do this counseling ministry. I want to do this marriage uh, recovery ministry. I want to do this help for the poor. I want to do this missions work. Because God is going to bless it. Because his work is to give us resurrection power so that when we begin to advance the kingdom of God in the world, so that when the powers of darkness are driven back, there will be consequences. It will work. There will be a result. Not that there aren't setbacks. Not that there aren't failures. But we can so focus on the failures that we forget, hey, look at all the blessing that God is giving. And the world is changing. The people are, are you with me on this? This is the doctrinal implication of the resurrection. Jesus was raised in great new power. And he's given us that power, resurrection power, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, Paul said. Paul's saying, I want to know that more and more, Philippians 3.10. I want to experience it more and more every day, every hour. Recognize that it's true, then trust God that it will be true, and then step out in faith to share the gospel, to pray for someone, to minister, and then expect to see that God is going to bring answers. Is that encouraging to you? <laughs> Should be. Point B, Christ's resurrection ensures our justification. Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well, that's interesting. Justification is a legal declaration by God that we are forgiven. We're not guilty of our sins, but we're righteous before him, legally, our legal standing. Our sins are forgiven, and we've got the, the merits of Jesus' life reckoned to our account. Raised for our justification. How, what's the connection between the resurrection of Jesus, and God declaring us not guilty, but righteous. Well, I think it is this idea that God thinks of us as united with Christ in his death 
and resurrection. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, it was saying, I approve of what you've done. I give you my favor and my blessing. All the penalty for sin has been paid, and you are righteous in my sight. And if we are united with Christ in that, then we, then when God puts his word of approval, his stamp of approval on Christ's work by raising him from the dead, then we're united with him, and that means that God can say to us, as united in Christ, I count you not guilty, I count you righteous. God the Father approved of Christ's work of suffering and dying for our sins. So Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So there was great blessing that came as a result of his resurrection. Point C, Christ's resurrection ensures that we will receive perfect resurrection bodies as well. It, we've already talked about this, but now here's the connection. It's because we are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. God thought of us as sharing in that uh, by anticipation at that time, and now actually uh, as it works out in our lives. And so um, when Jesus was raised from the dead, his body guaranteed that we're going to have a perfect body as well. God raised the Lord, that's 1 Corinthians 6.14, God the Father raised the Lord Jesus, and will, raise up, will also raise us up by his power. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he will raise the Lord Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. See the connection between the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection to a new life? Now that brings up a question that somebody asked last week, somebody back in here. Does that mean that Jesus had scars in his, uh, in his hands, in his side? What, does that mean that we will retain scars from this life? John 20, 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I don't think so. I, I think that we will probably not retain any scars or injuries from this life. I think Jesus' scars are unique. They're an eternal reminder of the sufferings and death for us. I don't think that his back was still all torn open from the wounds. I don't think there was a hole all the way through his wrist from the nails. I think there were just there were scars that were a reminder of what he's done for us, but unique, and I don't think that that's... I think that our bodies will have no, no scars and no reminders of any injury from this life. Yep. Oh, wow. Thank you, Pammy. The scars of Jesus' hands inside are the only man-made thing in heaven. <laughs> mm. Yeah, the reminder of what, what was done for us. Then Paul gives an ethical significance of the resurrection. He tells people, after he gets done with this long chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, oops, that's a mistake. That says 5. It should be 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. When he gets done with this long chapter talking about the resurrection, he says, therefore. Therefore, after all this discussion about the truth of the resurrection, therefore, here's how it should apply to you. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, I'll go back to that sermon this morning by Lee Strobel. That friend of her, of his wife's, what was her name, Linda, who shared the gospel with Lee Strobel's wife, that was, that was an activity, that was work or labor that has eternal significance because Lee's wife became a Christian, then Lee Strobel became a Christian, then other people became 
and his ministry, and no doubt through her as well. And so that's going to go on forever because those people are going to be in heaven. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I thought about something else, and that is, um, what about remodeling this campus and building these new children's ministry buildings here at Scottsdale Bible Church? That is not in vain. It's not only because children will come to know the Lord and grow in that, but I, I just I wonder if those buildings won't still stand after Christ returns. I don't know. Mike, here's something. I, again, I don't, I'm, I'm speculating. So. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. So there's a renewal. But, 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 but I wonder, because if Jesus comes back to reign on the earth, at least now I believe that he's going to be reigning on the earth as king for, for a thousand years, and there'll still be believers and unbelievers during that time. Um, won't some of the things that we've, even the, the brick buildings that have been built, won't, won't those perhaps be ready for use the next Sunday, but have to have thousands of more people accommodated and many more services? See, I, I don't, I wonder. Huh. But anyway, your work, your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Certainly, at least in the personal lives of people, that's going to, reach, that's going to remain. And as people are built up and they grow in the Christian life, then they will have greater rewards, greater responsibility in the age to come, and you can say, hey, I helped to minister to that person. Look now, he's, he's ruling over ten cities or over five cities or whatever. So that, that, the resurrection is a guarantee that it's all going to last. And then B, there's a focus on heavenly reward. Uh, and this is the verse that Lee Strobel started out with this morning. It's interesting how the, this fits together with his message. Uh, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19. But then uh, Paul goes on and says, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So uh, and there's a guarantee that... Um, that God's going to reward everything that we have done. Uh, another application, well, you know, let me just stop here for a second. Am I, am I, I'm, I'm doing too much. I, I, I talked about this power for ministry uh, and power for living the Christian life, and, and then, what else? I'm just going to back up. Life, power for the Christian life and power in ministry ensures our justification, ensures we'll receive resurrection bodies, ensures that our work will last. Do you want to interact on any of that? I'm just kind of going on and on here. Are you okay with all that? Okay, I'm going to keep on. Another application, somehow my outline got messed up. C, oh, I see, I've got A, B, C, D under D. Um, we should set our minds on the things of heaven. So if Christ is raised and ascended into heaven, Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, that is, you've been joined with him in that resurrection, well, that's the future of your life. So set your minds, Paul says in Colossians 3, what? seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. That means spend time in prayer. That means spend time in worship. That means spend time reading your Bible and thinking about things in heaven and thinking about things to come. Because that's where you're going. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. So there's uh, an application. And then D, stop yielding to sin. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. You don't have to give in to sinful patterns of life. There's a resurrection power of Christ within you. And Paul just says, stop it. Have you heard Darrell say that, Pastor Darrell? Darrell says, he'd never make a good counselor. People come in saying they're doing something they shouldn't, and Darrell would say, stop it. And then, next appointment. <laughs> anyway, there's some simplicity to that, but there's some... And, and I don't mean to minimize the, the need for help and counsel and, and encouragement from others in prayer and spiritual disciplines, but there is also this backbone-strengthening truth that you have power to make progress in change in your life. And that, I just can't deny that. It's right there in Romans 6. Okay, now that's the end of the resurrection stuff. We've got a few minutes left. If you want to talk about anything... Encouraged by this, all right. It is. It should. It should be strengthening, encouraging to us. But I'll tell you what. Wayne, Let's see. Here's one, Wayne. Okay, one here. Um, you mentioned. Well, first, what's your name? Lindell. Linda. If Christ in heaven is in a physical body that he had here on earth, with that additional dimension, but do you have a sense of how we'll be able to perceive? the angels and the Holy Spirit if they're not in physical body? Yeah, somehow, good question, somehow people occasionally are able to see angels. And physically, I think what happens is that there's parts of the spectrum, the, the light spectrum, that we can't see now. But God enables people to see that from time to time, and so they could see angels. And so I think that that's true. God will make our eyes able to perceive reality that we can't see now. I, I think, anyway. And I don't know about the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not sure because no physical manifestation. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay, yeah, uh, Clyde. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> Did Jacob wrestle with an angel of the Lord, or was it Jesus in a physical form, pre-incarnate, pre a temporary physical form? I tend to think it was the Lord himself. It was Christ in a physical, just temporarily taking a physical form. Um, yeah, yeah, hard question. Okay, well, let me just see if I can take a few more minutes and just do this. What happened when Jesus ascended then? Ascended into heaven, he ascended into a place. Acts 1, 9 to 11, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So it's just gear, it's, it's designed to make you realize there's continuity between his earthly body and, the, and what he took up into heaven. Um, and the angels say he'll come back in the same way. I think Jesus went to a place, heaven somewhere, in the space-time universe. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. This is, I think, a place in the space-time universe. And in fact, from time to time, people have ability temporarily to see into it. Acts 7, 55 to 56, Stephen was dying. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I think that wasn't very far from this earth. 
and I don't know how it is, but it looks like to me that it's not far from the earth. Um, and uh, here's um, um, this is Jacob's dream in Genesis 28. He dreamed there was a ladder set up on the earth, reached into heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. It looks like it's not far away. And uh, 2 Kings 2.11, they went on and talked to... Behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. That's in his physical body, it looks like to me. I mean, it just snatched up there somehow and then became invisible. Um, so uh, what is the new heaven and new earth? It's, it's renewed, but I think it still, it still has a very material aspect to it. Just because we cannot see where Jesus meant, it doesn't mean that a physical place does not exist. Second uh, Kings 6:17, the, the city of Dothan. Eli, uh, Elisha and his servant were surrounded by the Syrian army. The servant gets really worried. Elisha says, "Don't worry. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them." And the servant, "What do you mean by that? There's two of us." And uh, and Elisha says, "Lord, open his eyes." And the Lord opened his eyes, Linda, and all of a sudden he saw the, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. That's angels protecting them, but he couldn't. They were there, but he couldn't see it. Um, and again, Stephen saw into uh, heaven. So I, I think it's there, but we just can't see it now. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he received glory and honor that had not been his before as God-man. And so he, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. He was exalted at the right hand of God. God has highly exalted him. There was honor from the Father and honor from the angels in heaven that he had not had before. Honor that was due to him for accomplishing our salvation. Um, and there are more verses like that. Then third, and I'll finish this up and we'll be done. Christ was seated at God's right hand. And sometimes the word session is applied to this. When Congress is in session, that's supposed to mean they're sitting at their desks to vote or talk or something. Anyway, that's what the word session means, being seated. And so Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, so many, many verses on this. I'll just do some of them. Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Ephesians 1.20, God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 3.22, is at the right hand of God. And now, there are two things that are meant by this. Number one, when you sit down, you've completed a task. So I think the sitting at the right hand of God means his work of earning our salvation is finished. But number two, in the ancient world, to sit at the right hand of the king was to be second in authority over the kingdom. And so I think to sit at the right hand of God was to be in his new form as God-man, given authority to reign as well. And so one of those, one of the aspects of that authority was being given the authority from the Father to send the Holy Spirit to us, Acts 2.33, being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. I don't think that means Jesus is permanently fixed, can't move at all at the right hand of God. Acts 7.56, Stephen saw the, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In Revelation 2.1, he identifies himself as the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And those were the representative, symbolic representation of the churches. So that means he's also walking among the, uh, among the churches and he's preparing a place for us. Um, we're united with Christ in this, uh, raised up with him, ascending with him, and uh, uh, we're going to be caught up with him in the clouds. I think I'll just go here 
And I think that implies there's some authority over demonic forces. We've been raised with Christ, not only raised from the dead, but raised up spiritually in a, or representationally uh, to be with him at the right hand of the Father, and that's authority over the evil forces in the world. Um, Ephesians 2.6, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. Okay. <laughs> I, that, that was kind of tail end of the outline. I'm not going to do any more on that. See if you have any last questions before we're done. Uh, John? So we could have a whole room full of angels here. Oh, we yeah. can't, so we could have a whole full of room angels here in this room. Oh, absolutely. Marveling at the fact that we can't see them, but yet we believe yep. that they're here. Yeah, and I believe there are some here. Amen. And, there, and I think they're rejoicing, that we're rejoicing in the goodness of what God has done. Yeah, definitely. Um, Pascal. That's right. Thank you. Um, you know, all these verses seem to really shine a spotlight on Christ Jesus physically at the right hand of God, but it's almost like God the Father is in the background in these verses, and it's, it's a little confusing to me. I mean, I know the Trinity is mysterious, but uh, can you have any, do you have any comments on that? Well... Seated at the right hand means the Father is still on the throne. And uh, glory is given to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is, to the Father and the Son. And I think to the Holy Spirit as well, that we worship all three. Um, but it does say they have different roles. And that's true eternally in creation. The Father commanded and the Son was the creative, powerful word that brought the universe into existence. And the Spirit was hovering on the face of the waters. And then in salvation, the Father planned and chose us, but he sent the Son. So there are different roles, and we, we are thankful for and praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the differing things they have done. Um, I'm not sure that I can do, say any more than that, but yeah, it's a good observation. Yeah. What's your name? Nicole? Nicole. I d and I don't know if this is maybe relates to this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but... You also have to think that in, it was the early believers were Jewish people, so you have to take in consideration of the culture where God was unattainable except for by the high priest, and Jesus fulfilled that role. So he was the mediator, and perhaps maybe that will yeah, give a little bit more of a light in yeah. if he thinks that, you know, where was God in the midst of this? Jesus being, if you say, the forefront of this type of scriptures, would be the one who would mediate for us, perhaps. I, yeah, I'm not quite sure where you're going with that. I, I want to say both that God manifested his presence in the temple and in the Holy of Holies, but then, of course, that was just a taste of the reality of God in, in heaven, so both, both would be true. Okay, I'll tell you what. I, I, just, I think it's really helpful for us to focus on this and say, that is the resurrection power of Christ that is in me now. And... I think our failure to really believe that accounts for some of our discouragement and inactivity in the Christian life. And if we really start to believe this, that the power of Christ's resurrection is in us, it gives us much more confidence to go forward and do what God wants us to do with the expectation that he's going to bring blessing. All right? So now with that, let's sing and we'll be dismissed.